Hi, good morning, everyone. I would say I'm glad to see you all, but I can't see you all. So welcome to Shaliford. I uh, want to just start off and, and tell you how excited and humbled I am to be having the privilege and, and responsibility of, of bringing you God's word this morning. Really appreciate those of you who have been praying for me and encouraging me and uh, helping me to prepare for this. So I want to start off just to kind of reorient where we are year to date so far. So we began the year and, uh, and we had a series on freeing ourselves from the curated life. Not, not presenting ourselves or preparing ourselves to look a certain way, to, to make a certain impression. Um, so we, we talked through that, trying to free ourselves, and I know that's an ongoing journey. Then we went through a, a series called The Good Life on the Beatitudes, and we heard about characteristics and behaviors and attitudes that maybe our world doesn't always see as blessed, but they are blessed, and Jesus tells us that they're blessed. And, and we, we learned that just like with the curated life, you know, we can embrace the things of the Beatitudes. We can embrace our meekness, our poorness of spirit, and that that's really where God's light shines. Now, last week, we celebrated Resurrection Sunday. Praise the Lord who, who died and conquered death and came back to us. So today, we're going to start continuing our sermon uh, series on the Sermon of the Mount. So Jesus talking to his disciples. He went up on a hill. He sat down. He didn't, he didn't stand at a podium. He sat down, and his, his disciples came and gathered around him, and he spoke to them. So we come to worship, right? This is a place where we come to honor God, but we also come to see ourselves in him and to be filled by his spirit. So I want to just take a moment and talk about what we're here for and, and what I'd like for you to get out of this time. So I, as I share with you God's word, Obviously, we're, we're here for his glory, but if, if you're lost today, if you don't know Jesus, if Jesus has not saved you, and, and you don't look to him for everything that you depend on in life, make today the day. Call out to him. Don't, don't wait. There's nothing else in the world that's, that's going to satisfy like he does. If you are a follower, if you're a believer in Christ, if Jesus has saved you, and you're not committed to the body of Christ with covenant church membership, Pray about that. Um, Christianity is, is not a single sport, right? It, it's not a solo activity. It's a community. If you do know Jesus, if, if you're a covenant member of, of a body of Christ believers, and, and, you, and you're already there, get to know someone a little better. Let, let's get past the, uh, the pleasantries. Let's do life together. Let's get to know someone who can know you well enough to know when you're hurting know you well enough to know when you're struggling and who can love you well enough to speak to you when you need to be spoken to. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I ask this morning that you just be with this service. I pray that you'll help me to deliver your word faithfully. Lord, I pray that in all things you'll be glorified today and that you'll just speak to each one of us about the, the condition of our own hearts and let us know what we need from you, Lord, and let us just be humbled and let us just freely take what you have to give. It, it's a price that you've already paid for us, Lord, and we would be so much better if we stopped trying to go and pay for it or, or go find it on our own. Lord, you tell us you know, that, that if your people will pray, will humble themselves and pray and seek your face, 
that you will heal our broken world. If we'll turn from our wickedness, you'll heal our land. Lord, our world's got so many troubles. I just pray, Lord, that we would be humbled and that we would seek you, and we know that you'll take care of things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, Johnny told you already, but we're going to be focusing on the passage just after the Beatitudes. Uh, it's in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. I'll read it for you now. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light in all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. As we go through that passage, we're going to talk about a call to identity and action that, that Jesus gives to us. We'll spend a little bit of time talking about the usefulness of salt for taste and enjoyment, for preservation, for healing. Then we're going to talk about light. We're going to talk about the origin of the light. We'll talk about how we hide the light. We're going to talk about artificial lights that we seek and artificial lights that we display. And finally, we're going to talk about the importance of relational light uh, as Christians and followers of Jesus. So, Jesus starts the, the whole thing with one phrase, two times. Jesus says, you are. Now, Jesus doesn't say, you could be, you should be, you ought to be. If you get your act cleaned up, you will be. Jesus says, you are. And I don't want you to miss the importance of that. It, it's not something aspirational. It's something that God and, and Jesus have declared is true right now, today. He's given us everything we need through his salvation to be a part of his world. He's equipped us for good works, and he's called us and said that that's what we're here for. It's the same thing that God delivered to his chosen servant in Isaiah, continuing from what Johnny read earlier. He said this to Jesus. Well, to his chosen service. We know now it's Jesus. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved of Israel. That's not enough. I will make you as a light for the nations, all of them, that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. That's what, that's what Jesus is asking you to be a part of today. So he, he goes in to each of these things, right? And, and he illustrates the importance of this identity. It's not just a call to action. It's a call to identity, the very fiber of who you are, who we are in him. So God says, if salt has lost its taste or its saltiness, he didn't say it stopped being salt. He just said, if it's not salty, what's it good for, right? And likewise with the lamp. He didn't say that the lamp was extinguished or that it, you know, ran out. He said we hid it. It was covered under a basket. It wasn't displayed up high for people to see. And I, and I think what that speaks to is the, the firmness of God's salvation, the finality of it. We have it. All we have to do is use it, and he prepares us to use it. So 
If you've been saved by God's grace, he as the salt of the earth and as the light of the world. It's okay if you need to put your lampstand upon a table. Sometimes it's in a corner, right? Sometimes we've got a basket that we put over it. He, he loves us anyways. He knows that we're going to fall short. And it's when we turn to him that we can really take a, take a moment and kind of restore what he's asked of us. Just like when he, he called Simon Peter and, and Andrew in Matthew 4.19, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He didn't say, you know, follow me and take this training course. He didn't say, follow me and clean up your act. He said, follow me and I will make you. You're fit for his purpose because he's declared it so, not because of anything that you can do or that you should do. And the good news is this. The whole Bible, the whole thing, it's full of people who mess up. Liars, cowards, adulterers, prostitutes, murderers. Have, have all of you paid Caesar this year? Even tax collectors. God used them for his purpose. All the evil, all the bad, and what was meant for evil, he made good. So we'll talk a little bit about salt. He starts off pretty basic, right? He appeals to our sense of taste. Salt doesn't seem very exciting to us. We've all got salt. We can all walk in the kitchen and find it. Maybe all of us except Jimmy Buffett. He can't find his. But at, at the most basic, he's, he's talking to our taste. And the, the appeal of something that's just palatable. I know sometimes, you know, we have movies and books and stories that fantasize medieval times or the times of the pirates and all of the all of the things that we might get to and those things seem really really fancy and flashy but have you guys thought about what they eat it's probably really really awful um, they had salt but they couldn't just go to Kroger or or Publix and pick up some gojujang or some Kahlua or um, grill mates right you guys got the grill mates make your food taste good they had salt Maybe they had a few regional spices, but certainly not the variety of we had. So at its most basic, salt makes life palatable. God enjoys it. He likes salt. He, he commanded about the grain offerings. He says, you shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. Salt is, is a piece of the covenant, right? So when, when God tells Aaron about the holy contributions, he said, all the holy contributions that the people of Israel present to the Lord, I give to you and to your sons and daughters with you as a perpetual due. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord and for your offspring with you. It's talking about preservation. There's a story in Second Chronicles about uh, King Abijah and King Jeroboam. And just to kind of set the stage, this is, there's lots of great stories in Kings and Chronicles about the two different nations. You had the, uh, the northern nation of Israel and the south nation of, of Judah. And, and those books tell all sorts of stories about all sorts of kings, and most of them aren't really great kings. They're not following God's word. It's got a lot of phrases like, they did what was right in their own eyes. They did evil. They did not seek the Lord. They did not rely on the Lord. So there's a lot to be learned there. But uh, during the, the reign of King Abijah, he's in a battle with King Jeroboam. 
and it's not looking good. There's the, the nation of Israel has surrounded Abijah and, and the nation of Judah, and it seems hopeless. But Abijah stood up. He said, he stood up on the Mount Zemaraim, that's in the hill country of Ephraim, and he said, Hear me, O Jeroboam, and all Israel. Ought you not to know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingship over to Israel forever, to David and his sons, by a covenant of salt? God delivers Judah. He defeats Israel and King Jeroboam. And Abijah chases Jeroboam around and keeps defeating him. We also hear in that story about uh, how Judah's priests have remained faithful to God. They, they say, even caring for the golden lampstand so that its lamps may burn every evening. See that faithfulness. They're letting their light shine. And they called out to God in the name of the covenant that God had made with them, a covenant of salt. So, we know that salt is a preservative. That's the same, same spirit that we have right there. That, that salt is a preservative of the covenant. Now we have a new covenant, right? We have Jesus, a, a worthy sacrifice once and for all. And isn't it good news that with that adequate sacrifice, a holy and pure offering, Jesus has said to us, you're the salt. The last thing that I'll, I'll share with you about salt is, is from healing, right? It's practical. You use salt to clean things and sterilize, saline solution. But in 2 Kings, we hear about the prophet Elisha. We also hear about Elijah, right? So keep those two straight. So Elijah is Elisha's master. And just before God is going to take Elijah up to heaven with a whirlwind, Elisha asks him, hey, I know you're about to go. I see what the Spirit has laid upon you. Can I have a double portion of it? And long story short, I'll let you read it. It's a good story. Um, he gets it, right? Whirlwind comes, takes Elijah up to heaven. And the men of Jericho see him, and they see Elisha, and they see that Elijah's spirit is upon him. And they go to him, and they're like, hey, your, your master is missing. You know, should we go have a look for him? And Elisha's like, no, you don't need to look for him. God has him, you know. But they keep pressuring him. He feels bad. Eventually, he relents. He said, okay, send your people out. Go look. They didn't find him. It was just as he said. But the people of Jericho, they recognized that Elisha now had the Spirit of God on him. And they needed something. So they came to him, people of Jericho. They said, behold, the situation of the city is pleasant, as my Lord sees. So it looks pleasant. But the water's bad, and the land is unfruitful. So Elisha said, bring me a new bowl, put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went to the spring of water, and he threw the salt in, and he said, thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From now on, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. So the water has been healed to this day, according to the word that Elisha spoke. That phrase, as, it, as my Lord sees it. Jesus kind of alluded to this when he talked about salt losing its saltiness, right? It looks good on the outside. It looks like salt, but it's not salt. And just like in Jericho, the, the situation wasn't as it seemed. And we're going to talk a little bit more about things that aren't as they seem a little bit later as we get into talking about light. So, in May of 1996, I was in the sixth grade, by the way. Uh, I, with all of my classmates... 
we were gathered outside of the front of our school. We had a sixth grade building on one side, a fifth grade building on the other, and we were lined up um, because we were, we were waiting to see something impressive, something exciting. So a few months prior, um, somebody lit a fire in Greece. And they put that fire on an airplane and they brought it to the United States. And they enlisted over 10,000 people to carry this fire. They carried it 15,000 miles through 42 of the U.S. states to make sure that it was within two hours of 90% of the U.S. population. Now this was, of course, the, the Olympic flame that eventually made its way to Atlanta. And eventually I made my way here too. Uh, I'm a little late. It was faster than I was. But... Uh, they had selected these torchbearers based on their contributions to the community. Miss Wetzel was one of the teachers in our sixth grade uh, building, and, and she was selected for this honor and, and got to actually carry the torch in front of our school. Now, don't get this mixed up, right? We're asked to carry the, the torch in the light of Jesus, not because of our contributions to the community. It's because of his. So we haven't earned that right or that distinction, but it's his character and his qualities that we're carrying along with us. And I see a lot, of, a lot of parallels between this practice, this activity, and our role as, as lights in the world. This, this flame is in Greece, and it's spread, and it passes everywhere. And everywhere we go, we can pass it as well. Um, but where did this light come from that we're carrying, right? We know where the Olympic torch was, but where did ours go? Um, to get to this, we're going to have to go to the beginning. And I'm also going to get all the way to the end, but I promise I'll skip a few things. So, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light. And there was light, and God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. So we have the light. And we see where its origin was. And we see that it was with Jesus. And, and it eventually comes to the point that we started with, Jesus granting it to us. John chapter 8, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk, walk in darkness, but they will have the light of life. Remember when we read just a little bit ago, Isaiah 49, God said, so that my salvation will reach the end of the earth. Paul helps us feel a little bit better, right? He takes a little pressure off because he says in 2 Corinthians 4, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let the light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Don't know about you, but that's like a huge relief, right? It's fantastic. Let the light shine. It's not ours. It's Jesus' light. So when there's rejection, when there's um, friction as a result of it, it's okay. He can handle it. They killed him for it. What else could he go through? 
So it's, it's not your rejection. Um, even in the Beatitudes, we, we talked about it, right? Blessed are those, are you, when, when others revile you and persecute you and other all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account? Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I'm really glad that we've got that settled. It's his. It's not ours. He can handle it. So we've got this light. It's God's light. I'm going to hold my hand up here like it's an Olympic torch sometimes. It might not be. But from the beginning of creation, that's where it came from. The very beginning, right? And it shines in the darkness. And you've noticed, right? We talked about it. Darkness doesn't overtake the light. Light always shines on the darkness. In fact, everything that you see is light coming back to you from something. It's, it's not... Um, it's not darkness that you see. It's either light or the absence of it. So we've got this, this light. We're taking it with us everywhere we go. Everyone can see it. It's not our light. It's Jesus' goodness, hope, his love. It's held high. We carry it proudly in the open for everybody to see. Everyone's holding it high, like the song we sang as children, right? This little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bush? No. We're all holding it high, right? Me neither. We, we don't always hold it high. You know, when I was growing up, I thought that that song was about holding Jesus up high. And it didn't ever make sense to me why anyone wouldn't be proud to hold Jesus up high. He's Jesus. He's, he's the best, right? But as I've grown up and, and learned more, I figured out that maybe it's not Jesus that we hide under the bush, but maybe we're hiding ourselves in the light that we reflect, that we put off. So we're hiding under a bush or a basket. So we don't hold that torch quite as high as we could. We don't put our lampstand on a table and let it shine across the whole house um, so it can you know, shine on everything. So what are we hiding? Why do we put a basket on the lamp? Why do we hide it in the corner? Are we hiding a part of ourselves? Are we hiding because we think that the light will shine on a part of our darkness and, and someone will see it? That's what it's for. When you hide the darkness from your light, the light can't overtake it. The light can't heal it. That's what the enemy wants. He wants us to hide our light. He wants us to be ashamed of the things that our light exposes so that we can keep a little bit behind, so that there's always something holding you back and not letting you go completely to Jesus. Um, the basket has holes, right? Some of the light shines through. People can see a little bit of light. See, I'm fine. I got a lot of little light over here. It's okay. But when we hide it, when we obscure it, when we don't let it shine it to its fullest, we hide the darkness that's going to... That's, that's going to be harmful to us that's not going to let us heal completely that basket represents the way that we arrange our lives to show only the good parts or only select bad parts right it represents our attempts to hold ourselves to a standard that is not Jesus to pursue an identity that is separate from him back there in the corner I'll show you a little bit behind the scenes there's a board about this big it's probably got three dozen little switches and sliders on it with that little board, Nick and I think Heather's back there, they can change every one of these lights. They can turn the cross red or green. They can turn the walls blue or orange. 
they can focus on this section of the sage or that section over there. We do the same thing with our lives. We push the little slider up to show the good things. We pull the slider down to show the bad things. Turn a slider up on something that's a little bit bad so people don't think we're pretending we're all good. But we show them a little bit of bad so they can, you know, be satisfied that, that we're not, you know, pretending perfect. But this is the curation that we talked about at the beginning of the year. This is, this is showing only the light we want seen. Take the basket off. Jesus has seen it all. He died for it all long before you were ever born, before the first thing you did wrong, before the next thing you did wrong. He's seen it. He died for it. Let's show it. Now, separate from the light that we have within us, there's, there's artificial lights. So as I was thinking about this and preparing, I thought about Jesus and his disciples. Remember, they're sitting on the hill here. They're gathered around. And Jesus is, is talking about light. And I thought, what, what do they know about light? Right? So they know about the sun, the moon, the stars, fire. Maybe they've seen some light, uh, some lightning, right? Maybe they've seen some light from divine action. What an incredible thing that would be, right? If, if all you've ever seen are the sun, the moon, and the stars, and something special happens, uh, just a little bit before the story I told you about Elisha, uh, Elijah called fire down from heaven on his persecutors like three times, like, imagine. And we see light everywhere, right? So we've got all the lights to, to control our stage. We've got light switches in our house. We've got our cell phones, right? We walk around. If it's, if it's just a little dark, we shine it this way, and then we'll turn it up here, and we'll turn the light on, and we'll shine if we really need to see something. They didn't have any of that, but they, they used light to see. It was how they'd navigate. It was how they'd mark time. We got all the great things, cop lights, flashlights, spotlights, strobe lights, street lights, all of the lights. Brother Kanye would say that. <laughs> I was in, uh, in Las Vegas a couple of weeks ago for a, for a work event, and let me tell you about the lights there. I, I was fortunate enough to be able to see the the fountains of the Bellagio from the window in my room and the Eiffel Tower and a number of other buildings. All kinds of artificial lights to, to capture your attention, to captivate you, to, to make you see something and, and enjoy something. And not just actual lights, right? That, that, that's a place that embodies artificial lights that you might pursue, something that you might look after that's not Jesus, something that's not fulfilling. Everything designed to captivate your attention and to feed into one of your earthly and, and most basic instincts to seek something that's not him. We seek lots of things that aren't him, right? We seek wealth, power, prestige, satisfaction through lust, athletic achievement, vanity. Anything that we're looking after, that we're looking for, that we're trying to achieve and trying to attain and trying to do that is not Jesus, that's not God, that's an artificial light, and it's not going to be enough. Every one of those things are going to require that constant maintenance. You're going to have to keep putting oil in that lamp. You're going to have to put more and more oil in it. You're going to need a new wick. It's going to burn out. It's not going to last. It's not enough. It doesn't also conquer the darkness. It fools you. It makes you think for a little while that the darkness is gone, but it's still there. 
it, it's, it's not gone. Remember in our, our series through the Beatitudes, right? The poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers. God's light is seen not from what they did, but in the second half of each of those phrases, right? When those who mourn are comforted, when the weak inherit the earth, when the merciful are shown mercy, that's that reflection. That's the light coming back. That's a light that will last. That is a light that will conquer the darkness, that will overcome the things in life that would seek to destroy you. We also display our own artificial lights, right? The illusion of independence or self-sufficiency. Defining right and wrong for ourselves, making justifications for what we do, artificial comparisons with, you know, other people. Um, we might be prone to act like we can earn our way to salvation if we're good enough, if we try hard enough, if we come to church enough, if we give enough, if we pray right, if we look right, if we have a Pinterest perfect life, if everything is fine and under control. You guys remember what we said about Jericho, right? It looks, it looks beautiful from the eye, from what you can see. We talked about, you know, confessing just a little to keep people at a distance. Man, that'll satisfy them. Oh, I was, I was angry today. Maybe I was angry today. That's probably true. Maybe I'm also struggling with some sort of an addiction. Maybe I'm struggling with something bigger or in my mind and my heart worse than that. But if I can tell you something that is, uh, you know, maybe not so bad by our, our standards, then I can earn myself a little bit of relief from having to face the real darkness that, that needs the work. It's a diversion. It's a distraction. And any of those things, any of the darkness can hurt you. There, there's not a, uh, there's not a, a measure. Any darkness is, is a room for the enemy to get in. It seems a little bit opposite from the basket, right, that we, we put off these things. But really it's the same thing. It's just like the light board. We just push a little slider up and we have, some, we have something over here for people to see so that we can live up to whatever human standards we think we want to uh, make and not necessarily to the standard that God sets for us. The last section on light that I'll talk through here is about relational light. And, and this is where I think the key is to unpacking and undoing so much of what we've talked about before. You know, the Bible tells us that iron sharpens iron and man sharpens man. Light shows on darkness, right? And when we're around more people with more light, it can shine on more darkness. Now, we talked at the beginning about Christianity not being a solo sport. It's something that's done relationally. There's a quote here from a book that Johnny and Lynn and Justin and Matthew and I have been reading. It's called Lead by Paul David Tripp. It says, an isolated, independent, separated, and self-hiding Christian life is alien to Christianity of the New Testament. Biblical Christianity is thoroughly and foundationally relational. No one can live outside the essential ministries of the body of Christ and remain spiritually healthy. We read John 1.1 just a few minutes ago about the beginning. It was relational in the beginning. The word was with God. It was not 
God all by himself. It was not the word all by itself. It was relational. And that's, that's the beauty of being together with one another. I, I told you a little bit about the light, right? They're carrying the torch. I also learned as I was going back, thankfully there was a great newspaper article because I didn't remember all this stuff from sixth grade. Uh, so I'm reading this newspaper article and it said that they had three extra flames to go with the torch. They carried two nearby and they carried one somewhere in secret like it's the president or something. In, 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 case, in case the light went out, that they could relight it from the original true light. Now, pretty sure, I mean, this is the late 90s. Smoking was a whole lot more prevalent. Nobody had vape pens, so, you know, there was probably somebody with a Zippo lighter around. They could have lit the thing back up, but they wanted to keep it true to the light that they were carrying. They wanted it to be true and genuine. Do you have someone that can help keep your light lit? Do you, do you have someone that can, can stoke those fires? You know, we know Jesus' light will never go out. Johnny read to us. He won't, he won't extinguish the, the smallest spark in the wick. But sometimes it, it needs a little bit more. That relationship with one another, that, that truly getting to know one another, that will help. Those people will shine alongside of you. And I don't mean the spotlight, right? I'm not saying, I see, I see that darkness over there. Better do something about that, right? Jesus addressed that. He told us to take care of the plank in our own eye before the speck in your neighbor's. But I can tell you that when you're around other people and their lights shine, it will help you see things that you might not see otherwise if you're stuck with your own light. We talked about the lights up here. Every one of these little lights um, points exactly at my eyeballs. No, I'm kidding. They all point in a different direction to help illuminate something else. We're imperfect reflectors of God's light. And when we're with one another, we multiply that. Right? We, we cover more together than we could ever cover by ourselves. So I want to urge everyone, and we'll talk about it some more, find someone, find many someones, find a body of people who can shine with you. So why does all this matter? I've got three points that I'll share with you, and I, I'm going to cover it mostly with Scripture because some people a lot smarter than me a long time ago have covered most of this. If you seek something else that's not Jesus, if you seek and pursue and hold up and chase after an artificial light, you'll find it. It's there. And it will not satisfy. Here's, here's what happened to the Romans. He said, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise... They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their own bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever. Amen. He also says, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? If you chase the power, the prestige, the lust, the achievement, everything, what's it worth in the end? Is it, is it a trade that you're willing to make? I, I don't think it is. Second point here, 
Your own darkness cannot be conquered if you hide it from the light. We've all been in pandemic for a while. We've, we've hidden from a disease. Think of how small a virus or a bacteria is. It's tiny, but it can be deadly. Think about tetanus. It's all around us. It can get in, right? Tiny cut. It's deadly. A tiny bit can harm you. How much more then if a tiny bit of sin doesn't get exposed to the light? The virus doesn't start out very big, right? But it's the little, and it gets in, and it incubates, and it grows, and it festers, and it becomes more. And the same is true with the sin. If you don't let the light extinguish and kill and cure the whole sin, how much can a little bit hurt? Look what was said to uh, the church in Laodicea. This is in uh, Revelation. The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. He says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were ever either cold or hot. So, because you're lukewarm, because you're not hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich, I've prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. If you hide it, if you deceive yourself, you're going to miss the truth. The last point that I'll make is that you're a reflection of the light God sees through. I'm sorry. God sees through the light that you reflect. He knows. Others are going to see it too, right? When you're not genuine or trustworthy, they're going to see it. When you're self-righteous, they're going to see it. Jesus talked to the Pharisees. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear to be righteous to others, but within you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Our light's meant to show God's beauty to others. When it shines on our darkness and it's not augmented by artificial light, when it's not filtered, when it's not covered, when it's genuine and true and it shines on our darkness, that's when his beauty is beheld. So what do others see? You can control what you try to show, right? You can put it out there. But you can't always control what's perceived. What they might see, if you seem self-sufficient, if you try to put out self-sufficiency, if you, if you deny help when you clearly need it, are other people going to see, I need to be able to do everything myself. It's up to me. I've got to plow and power through this. I know he was struggling. I know he had a need and he wouldn't take help from anybody. That must be what's required of me also. They might look and say, wow, she's so religious and perfect. Maybe only perfect people can seek Jesus. Maybe I've got to get perfect before Jesus will take me. Maybe they'll see unrepented sin of pride or anger or callousness. And they'll ask, what did Jesus really change? What, what is that going to do if, if that's still there? Maybe they say judgment. Maybe they see cancellation. 
Maybe they see us abandon people for their mistakes, for their sins, and we turn our back on them, and they're never good enough, and we disassociate with them. Cancellation and judgment that flies in the face of the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross completely eliminates the forgiveness that we're, that we're taught to celebrate. And they think, I'll never be good enough. If Jesus' followers, who are imperfect, who are human, if they can't even forgive me, Jesus probably won't either. But the good news is this. If some of those things ever show, if we see that, we don't have to be guilty and hide that either. That's part of our own darkness. And that's the beauty of the light that Jesus can shine on us. Take that to Jesus. We all fail. We all come up short. We all have moments that, that fit into one of those buckets or countless others. Take it to Jesus. Let his light heal you. Confess it to others. Pray with people. Spend some time in the word. There's great stories in there. It'll also help brighten your light. Spend time comforting the afflicted. Right, Lynn talked about that a couple weeks ago. Comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Help others. Give generously. Confess your own shortcomings. Celebrate how Jesus welcomes us just as we are and loves us enough not to leave us that way. Fight injustice. Battle evil. You, you, can, you can share your light by showing the good picture that God and Jesus have painted for us. So, I'm going to make an invitation. If you're weak, confess it. Paul was weak. He, he wrote this to us. He said, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but God. When you're weak, confess it. And let your light shine. Get to know someone who can really know you, and you can really know them. Bear each other's burdens. Pray for each other. Meet together. Take off your baskets and let your light shine. You can start small. You can find somebody today, and you can ask them to pray with you about something in your life and let your light shine. In a few minutes, we're going to take the Lord's table. And when you come up here and you take the bread and you take the cup, you testify to God's glory and you let your light shine. When you meet someone who sins differently from you, you could judge them, you could set them aside and cast them away, but don't. Love them first. Let them see how you are forgiven. Let them see how God works through your sins and heals you and lets your light shine. If you feel like, man, this is just overwhelming. I don't think that my stuff's together. My life's messy. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to gather with others. This is messy. Bring it. Let your light shine. When you're in doubt, when you don't feel his presence, when you feel like he's not with you and he's not seeing you, fake it. No. No, don't fake it. Don't fake it. Share it. Let your light shine. Give God the glory for something great that's happening in your life. Let your light shine. Let, let others see that. 
Forgive trespasses. Reconcile with someone who has wronged you. And let your light shine. Ask forgiveness from someone whom you've wronged. Or maybe you don't even think you've wronged them, but they're mad at you, that they're unhappy with you. Ask them forgiveness and let your light shine. If you've already been saved by Jesus and you haven't told anyone, let your light shine. Tell them. If you need to go to the waters of baptism, let your light shine. And if you're ready to let Jesus be the light of your life, if you've not been saved by him before, ask someone to help you pray about it and let his light shine in you. Because your light, his light, will conquer the darkness. It tells us in Revelation, they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Just a few minutes, I'm going to go ahead and pray for us. After I pray, we'll come and take the Lord's table. And then the worship team will come back afterwards, and we'll have one more song. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us the light. That from the very beginning, you separated the light from the darkness. And you gave us something that we could use to measure goodness, to find direction, and to know what to pursue and seek. Lord, we thank you that we don't have to do it on our own, that it's not our own light, our own goodness that we have to drum up and share with others. Lord, that you've made all of that available for us. Lord, and we just ask that you'd always help us to see what's real and what's not real. and Let us not sacrifice the truth of you for a lie. Let us not pursue anything created in, in hopes and futile effort that it would make us whole, Lord, because we know only you can do that for us. And Lord, we ask that you'd help each one of us to uncover and show the whole of our darkness and that we would each be strengthened not to judge first, not to condemn others and to embrace others for the darkness that they have, knowing that we have our own and that we would help each other seek you as a source of cleaning and preservation and healing for that darkness. It's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen.